If you are a product shop owner or a creative entrepreneur at all, we have to tell you about the newest app we are absolutely obsessed with. It's called Pixel Cut, a magical app for background removal on your photos that is literally so easy to use. Yes, all you have to do is upload a photo, literally any photo, swipe a bar, and Pixel Cut instantly takes away the background of any image. It is insane. And then you can choose what background or background color that you want and Obviously, Pixel Cut doesn't leave you hanging because you can upload your brand's color codes to the app as well so you can have on-brand graphics using any photo in the blink of an eye. It is literally insane. Go download and try out Pixel Cut for yourself today on your app store. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast and we are your hosts, Evie McLeod and Lindsay Roman. Who here gets just the heebie-jeebies whenever you think about the legal or back-end side of your business? like taxes, terms and conditions. Legalities are just typically the things that are ignored when building a business because they're confusing, hard to understand, and just plain terrifying sometimes. However, the legalities of business don't have to be scary. And to prove that, we are bringing on our absolute favorite lawyer in the biz, Paige Griffith of The Legal Page, for her third time on the show to do a rapid-fire Q&A with us. Now today, we are pulling from questions that you, our listeners, submitted to Paige to answer. All the nitty-gritty legal things from a disclosure page on your website or blog for affiliate links and how to set up a DBA under your LLC and what the heck those letters even mean, all the way to whether or not you have to file quarterly taxes, what you can write off each year as a business expense, legal things to keep in mind with passive revenue streams such as an online shop or online products, and lots, lots more. This episode is packed full of super helpful tips and simple breakdowns of the law and legality that you'll want to know as an entrepreneur. So if you're ready to go get free legal advice from one of the coolest and most knowledgeable lawyers out there, grab a pen and paper and let's start the show. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Paige, welcome back, my friend. This is a treat, truly a treasure. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so excited to be back. It's, I'm no, I don't know, been a hot minute, but I'm here yeah, again. It, it has been a hot minute, but I mean, this is your third time on the show. And I actually think you're the first guest to be here three times. So this, I you're setting a record. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm so honored. That's great. I like being oh on podcasts God. multiple times. <laughs> well, we love having you on our podcast multiple times. We love working we with you, being friends with you, all the good stuff. But for anyone who's listening to this, who's like, wait, Paige has been on multiple times. There are multiple legal episodes. Uh, Go back to episode number 23 and episode 96 because Paige just drops a ton of things. But yeah, (laughs) always. She knows a lot. And this episode is going to be no exception to the fire drop (laughs) happening. I love it. Okay, so Paige, you are also uh, a speaker at the Heart Conference coming up ridiculously soon in Nashville. So are you excited for that? (laughs) 
I could not be more excited to see humans in person. Seriously. I want to hug everyone. I want to, you know, obviously mass mandates are just like being stripped down across the country. And I'm like, everyone will be able to see everyone's faces. Everyone can smile. I'm so excited. And we're going to know what our expressions are. And Yeah. yeah, to say I'm excited would definitely be an understatement. Oh, oh man! So good. Well, we can't meet. We've never met you in person, so I mean, oh, that's three, so weird. Three times so on the show, like I can't wait to actually <laughs> hug you in person I and did. multiple yeah. Zoom calls and like voice messaging and friends. Like, yes. I know virtual friends to the max, and yes. now we can be real life friends. Yay. Yes. We're just going to nerd out. (laughs) Seriously, hopefully no one's around when we first meet each other. It could be a little like, oh my God, hi. What? Awkward. How do we hug? Do we pick (laughs) each other up? I don't know what's happening. We just all hold hands and spin around in a circle. That's what it's going to look like. (laughs) That is amazing. That's probably, yeah, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. (laughs) All right. Well, before we like dive into the questions that we got pulled from our audience, can you give us just like... I know you've been on here twice on the show, but could you just give us, for anybody that might be listening to this for the first time and hasn't listened to the episodes that you've been on before, could you give us a rundown of just who you are and who, or not who, what you do? Yeah, so really quickly, hi there. If you don't know who I am, my name is Paige Griffith. I am the owner and lead attorney behind the legal page. We are... uh, online legal education platform for small business owners, and we help them get legally legit in no time without breaking into hives. So I know that the legal world can be very all-consuming and confusing and a bit overwhelming, especially for small business owners. So I try to just give everyone really simple, easy, and actionable legal tips so they can get back to running the business that they love. And aside from all of that that I do as a you know certified bar, you know, examined lawyer and licensed attorney. I'm also just a, you know, small town Montana girl. I've lived here my whole life. Uh, I have a husband and a new baby and a dog as well. So I hike a lot in Montana and like to hang out with my family and friends too. The mm. best. And your baby's yes. the sweetest, sweetest. Literally so oh. cute. <laughs> that, that's um, been a change since I've been on before. Yeah, so, that is yeah, true. I, I am now a mom. It's so fun. Oh, the best. Well, uh, Mama Girl, do you want to dive into the questions that we can get started with this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's definitely been fun to see all of the Q&As coming in. And I'm excited because I feel like lots of people have these questions lingering in their mind. And it's sometimes hard to ask legal questions. So even if you were like thinking of these, it's nice when someone else asks and then you can get it <laughs> yeah. answered without having to raise your hand, you know? I, I also I think, think with the legal... Are we about to say the exact same thing? We're probably about to say the same thing. This happens all the time. I'm going to say it and you tell me if it's the same. I think people are embarrassed to ask legal questions because it's like, you feel like dumb if you don't know it. Is that what you're going to say? No, but that's a good point. I was going to say, I think people don't even know what to ask. Like they don't even realize that they're, they're, they're not understanding or they're making mistakes or they're not protected. Like I think it's the embarrassment, but I also think it's just, wow, it sounds really harsh. I was going to say ignorance. But well, it's I like, mean, that's like, we I don't mean, know. Right? Like, like, yeah, yeah we, there's a lot <laughs> you don't know. So yeah, not the same thing. That was a moment where our brains weren't <laughs> simpatico, but that's okay. <laughs> but I think it's both really. I think business owners, one, they feel like they're wearing all the hats, but they don't really have that chief legal officer hat 
down pat, you know? So that's yeah. like where the embarrassment comes in. Um, also, they they feel like they have to know it all, but maybe they don't. And then that really translates into what Evie was saying, which is you don't know what you don't know. And like with that can come embarrassment. So I think they go hand in hand because yeah. why would you need to know things that only a lawyer who went to additional school would know and has been in practice for like 10 plus years learning it day in and day out. Like you aren't, you aren't supposed to know what we know because you aren't specialized as an expert in the legal world. So I think it's totally fine to be in both positions. And that's hopefully why I am here to help everyone who's listening in. Woo-hoo. I'm Perfect. excited. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into the first questions. Mandy asks, is a legal slash disclosure page really that important for your blog if you're using affiliate links? What happens if you don't have one because they're expensive? Yeah. Okay. So this is a really good question because there's a difference between like a very simple affiliate disclosure and then like website terms and conditions that have further kind of legal language or legal jargon in them surrounding, you know, like how your affiliate links work and commission and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that the expensive part of this question that she's asking is in regards to website terms and conditions. And those are Mm -hmm. what you see kind of linked at the bottom footer of your website with like full affiliate disclosure clauses in them. I think that that is something that you could probably work towards if you're worried about the expense of it. Website terms and conditions actually aren't legally required to have on your website. They're just really good to have on your website for legal purposes like copyright infringement or if someone plagiarizes, you know, actual text or copy on your website or if there is ever a discrepancy with kind of your affiliate disclosure links. So that can be, I would say, acquired over time. Then the second part that I want to answer this question with is just an affiliate, simple, like one sentence disclosure. And this is actually required by the FTC, also called the Federal Trade Commission. And so if you are having affiliate links on your blog, I think it's really good to just put near the bottom. And if you're using like a WordPress blog or something along those lines, you can actually set up your blog page to have this at the very bottom. That's just consistent. Um, Mm. So it's one of those like default, you know, little pictures or little wordings that you put at the very bottom of every single blog. So it's not in the actual you know, blog text itself. It's just in the back end, like page website design of it. And you can just have, you know, a little simple phrase that says, um, there may be affiliate links, you know, on this blog post whereby I may earn a commission rate. So that is absolutely required by the FTC that if you are an affiliate or like a brand partner, that you're disclosing that to consumers. And the main thing here is you really just want to say like, there may be affiliate links and I may earn commission if you click on them. Like it's Mm -hmm. really simple and it doesn't have to be specific. I don't, there's not like a one set sentence that you need to say, just something along those lines and you can put it in your own brand tone if you want. Yeah, totally. that's good. Okay, Paige, can I ask a, a, a follow-up question? I feel like we may have talked about this in the past, but I think your a listener might be having this question pop up into their head based off of what you just said of blogs. Would you want to touch a tiny bit about affiliate disclosure on Instagram, like linking on Instagram, especially now that a lot of people have links the button, and not just 10K like plus? 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's obviously just links now and not swipe ups anymore. So I think everyone has links, right? It's not just mm-hmm. over yeah. 1,000. I think, I think it's everyone. For the most part. Yeah, for the most part. So if you are using a link that is an affiliate link, um, you just either want to like state that, you know, like I'm an affiliate or brand partner or sponsor with this. Um, and the FTC really only requires you to in, ensure that you're not being deceptive. So <laughs> you just don't want people to like come to the conclusion that you're just, you know, like promoting this certain handbag to promote this certain handbag because you just bought it and you like it. If you were given that handbag from someone, um, like a brand that sent it to you, then it's sponsored by them. And so you need to probably just put the word like hashtag sponsored. If it's an ad where they are collaborating with you and you're actually getting paid to like promote this ad on your Instagram stories, then you need to say like ad sponsored affiliate. Um, Just those terms very you can like you honestly you don't need to make them super prominent you just need to have them somewhere so that people can you know see it probably Mm -hmm. near the bottom you know away from your link things along those lines but just on the actual instagram story okay wait i have a follow-up question (laughs) if if somebody (laughs) if somebody says like like you were gifted a handbag or whatever um by this company. Well, that's different than like that company paying you to sit, talk about the handbag. So that's my question. Would you said hashtag sponsored page? Is that different than hashtag gifted? Because I've seen both. Yeah, I, same, same, right? Like okay. you're you're just not being deceptive. You're just yeah. telling people like you were gifted this product. If it's not an affiliate link, you don't need to say that. Like, hey, yeah. this company sent this to me. I just wanted to show it. Like, I like it so far. I'll let you know how it's going to go. You know, that's usually what influencers or micro influencers are saying on their stories. So again, you just don't want to say nothing or you don't want to like put nothing in your hashtags or whatever that you're also putting next to the link. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) Okay, great. So next question comes from, uh, at mad, M A D D underscore N Madden on Instagram. Um, and she, he asked, how do you set up DBAs under LLCs? And can you define what that means for our listeners? Yeah. So an LLC is a limited liability company that is an actual business entity that you register with your state. A DBA is a doing business as. So this means that it's not an actual like business. It's just a different name that your business is operating under. So it can also be called like an assumed business name or a trade name or a fictitious name with your state. So if you're going to like your Secretary of State's website, um, sometimes there's different like departments or organizations within your state government that are going to issue, you know, these DBA registrations under. Um, But for the majority of everyone, you know, like 80-90% of the U.S. does this through their Secretary of State's website. Uh, I think Florida does it like through the Division of Corporations or something along those lines. So you will want to file a DBA, which is a doing business as name. It's just a name that... you know, your business operates under and it's not a legal entity. That's really important for people to note. So Mm -hmm. you can be a DBA even if you're a sole proprietor, right? So like, for example, say Lindsay Roman doing business as, I don't know, uh, think of a name, like a fun name. Little Roman. Okay, no, that was... Okay, Little Roman. Cool. No, I like that. Okay, so she like... My rapper name. 
Yeah, she's like slowly starting on Etsy, like some clothing for children, something along those lines. So she calls it Little Roman. She isn't quite ready to register as an LLC um, or she's putting this like under a different LLC bubble, but Little Roman is going to be a doing business as. So it's either like under your social security number as a sole proprietor, you're doing business as a different business entity, right? Mm-hmm. Or through your LLC is like, I like to think of it as a pyramid. Lots and lots of business owners do this. They have like some random kind of universal LLC name, such as, uh, I don't know, 406 Frenzy LLC. I literally just came up with that out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be your LLC name. That's really like, doesn't mean anything, right? But then you can have multiple DBA bubbles underneath it. Mm -hmm. So those are actual names that you'd register with your state, but it's, they aren't business entities. They're just like an arm and extension of either yourself or your LLC. The main thing here legally to remember you guys is that DBAs cannot legally enter into contracts. So you have to use your corporation's full legal name at the beginning of the contract and above your signature. Um, So like if you are a DBA, then you would probably either want to sign as yourself, if you're a sole proprietor, your full legal name. And then in parens, you'd say doing business as Little Roman you know, end parens, or you'd have your LLC name, 406 Frenzy LLC, doing business as whatever your DBA is, end parens. So hopefully that helps people kind of understand the legality surrounding a DBA is just a name. It has absolutely nothing to do with forming a business entity. That's so helpful to know. And you said to set it up, you go to your secretary of state. Is that what you said? Yeah. And just right. That's a great question, Lindsay, because you don't like set it up. You're literally just saying, this is the name I want to use. And you're just alerting kind of other people in your state that this is an assumed business name you're using. Sometimes it's called trade name or fictitious name, like I said, and you're just, you know, filing the DBA name with the state. You're not going to have to like put a bunch of other additional information that you do, you know, with an LLC registration, such as, you know, registered agent, member managed, manager managed, mm-hmm. all the operating agreements. You don't have to do any of that because an LLC is a business entity. A DBA is just a business name. Got it. Oh, that makes that, sense. That clarifies that a lot. Is cool. that, is it temporary page? Like, like you mentioned, you know, if you're not ready to set up an LLC for this DBA name or whatever, or can it be something that like, Like I'm even thinking for me, I'm considering changing my LLC name, but would I just keep my Evelyn Grace LLC and then change to a DBA of like Evie McLeod? Yeah, you definitely could. I would say that's probably the easiest way to go about it. It really depends on how much work you want to put into it. Also, what state you live in and how expensive it is to like dissolve an LLC, um, wind up that business, and then, you you know, move all of those assets into another business. Oftentimes, it is just easier to create a DBA and just move, you know, things move in and out of that same business bank account that you've had set up for a long time. And then you're just using a different name on, you know, the face of your brand. Cool. Okay. So that was my question of like, cause you'd mentioned temporary and I was like, well, but then you mentioned the umbrella and I was like, so it can be either, but yeah. What? Cool. Okay. I love awesome. that. Learning all the things. <laughs> At simply sufficient underscore on Instagram says are estimated quarterly taxes required or can you just pay federal taxes at all at once as a business owner? Okay. It is 
Depends. <laughs> That's right. always a really good lawyer answer. Um, so <laughs> individuals, including sole proprietors, uh, LLCs, single member LLCs, partnership LLCs, and then S-Corps, if you have thought about moving into an S-Corp or you are an S-Corp, maybe check out some more resources on that. But all of those have to pay estimated taxes quarterly if they expect to owe more than $1,000 when their return is filed. Now, many of you are probably thinking, well, I would assume that I'm going to earn more than $1,000. You don't really know until your first year of filing. So that's really important to remember. The IRS like isn't going to come track you down your first year in business if you made over $1,000 and you didn't pay quarterly taxes. Like, How were you expected to know? So usually it's after about one to two years with your like annual filings that you would then kind of be expected to know that your business is generating a profit, you're going to be paying more than $1,000 in taxes. And then, yeah, you are required to pay quarterly taxes. Um, So that's something where if you're at that position, like two plus years of business, and you haven't paid quarterly taxes, I would suggest reaching out to a CPA and talking to them about it. Or if you want to try to do it yourself, you can. You can set up... It's really simple to just go online to the IRS website and to your state government's website and just set up an account for you to pay quarterly taxes online. And then there are some breakdowns like on the IRS website that help you figure out what those estimates are supposed to be. Um, But I will tell everyone here, if you're just like in the first year or two of business, it's okay to just pay them all at once every year. The main goal is to just ensure you're paying your taxes. Uh, The IRS is going to be really grateful for that as your state government (laughs) because then they don't have to come hunt you down. Uh, And the last thing that I want to say is quarterly payments are sometimes hard to remember. That's why I always suggest like getting a bookkeeper to remind you or hiring that CPA. I just, I can't recommend hiring a CPA enough. I know lots of people try to wear that CFO chief financial officer hat for their business, but that is like the first thing you should outsource in my opinion um, yeah. because these CPAs have liability insurance. They know what they're doing. They're, you know, it's their professional license on the line. And if they make mistakes, it's not your mistake. It's their mistake. Um, And they will remember to file these quarterly taxes because it's not like perfectly quarterly throughout the year. It's weird. It's like April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and then January 15th of the following year. And then you're already into tax season. So I just think it's best to have someone like alert you that you do need to make the estimated payments. And then they can just go back and look at your finances and they'll just make those payments for you so that you don't worry if you're under-reporting or over-reporting. That's your CPA's, you know, that that's what they're doing. That's what they're deciding. And usually you won't get flagged by the IRS if a CPA is doing it for you. Mm. So good. Oh, so much information. Cannot <laughs> amen that You're CPA like part of that. This. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a rapid fire Q&A. Let's go. I love it. Okay. Next question is from at Sun and Salt Co. on Instagram. Uh, and they asked, do you have any tips on business expenses? Like what counts? What doesn't? What are legal versus illegal purchases? Yeah. All right. The very first thing I want to say about business expenses before I get into like what counts is try to keep your business expenses low. I think that there is this miss 
nowhere in the industry that's essentially like, let's expense everything at the end of the year, or yep. I want to write off as much as possible. I think that's a really bad like mentality to have as a business owner because you're running a for-profit business. You don't want to be running a like break-even business. Yeah. And I don't know why people think that their business shouldn't be making a profit because it should. And it's good to make a profit. So you don't need to expense everything. It is A-okay instead of like expensing $100 at the end of the year. It's okay to have that $100 stay in your business account as profit even though it's going to get taxed. Like it's great. Like you, you didn't get rid of a hundred dollars on some like nominal business expense. You, I mean, maybe you have $70 left of that after taxes, but that's still $70 of profit. That's like on a really micro scale. But I just want to tell people that business trick because it has helped me create a very, very, very profitable few businesses in my entrepreneurial, you know, endeavors. And I had a bad mindset from the beginning that I should just expense everything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, go read Profit First and don't expense everything. <laughs> That's For a good book really? if you're listening in. Um, so good. In terms of what counts as business expenses for tax purposes at the end of the year, office supplies, software, any type of equipment. I know you guys have lots of photographers that are listening in, but really anyone that has, you know, a laptop, a desktop, all of those types of like hard asset equipment, those can be expensed. Um, Your office desk and your chair and also furnishings in your office can be expensed, which some people don't know. So any type of decor that you put in your office... Just no way. Yeah, it is. It can be expensed. <laughs> Does it um, have to be? Isn't it? It has to be specific your, for your office. Like your office yes. would have to be basically a hundred percent used for your business. Yes. Well, could I like go to Target and get like a painting, and when I get home, I say I'm going to conveniently place this <laughs> in my office. Like, <laughs> I would say that it has to be very specific to your office. Okay. Like, okay. All right. You're 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 framing something like a professional license that you're putting in your office. Like that's going to be decor. All those right. Type of things. All right. Yeah. Or like a bookcase if you like a really nice bookcase. Like that's a good oh, office okay. expense. All right. Nope. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what, about, what about books, though? I'm not going to play the what about game with you. I could no, do that can day, be but... expensed for sure. Yeah, Perfect, people okay. even expense like their Kindle uh, annual fee Shut and stuff up. like that. Yeah, people expense okay, Amazon I... annual fees, everything. Because if Which you're makes... using it, I would say at least 80, the majority. If you're using it the majority for your business, you're going to be okay. Like you can wow. adequately respond to an audit that says, well, look at all this stuff I get sent to my address for business purposes from Amazon versus personal purposes. But again, don't do it unless you know for sure that like the majority that you're getting sent from Amazon is to your first business. I think think what I've learned from like CPAs and, you know, bookkeepers and and even you, Paige, like if, if you are trying to like buy so, like expense something that you're using like once for like like yeah. buying a, a a bunch of stuff for a photo shoot like a bunch of clothing for a photo shoot like that's totally fine that you're using it once for a photo shoot but are you going to wear that for the next like year not mm-hmm. business related then you can't probably yeah. write that off like you're that's you really not- <laughs> can't write off target explore i almost said explosions splurges <laughs> 
<laughs> splurges. Yeah, for sure. I was going to get to like my big no-nos is clothing. Like just yeah. don't ever try to write it off unless it literally has your brand logo on it. Yeah. Um, you know, some people do t-shirts with brand logos or like little aprons with brand logos if you're like a film yeah. photographer or something. Like those are fine, but yeah. clothing for like a one-time brand deal and then you're going to or brand photo shoot and then you're going to like wear it 50 yeah. other times for personal uses, that's never going to be expensive. Yeah. I feel like I I remember, come to think of it, I don't, oh, I don't remember why I wrote, oh, because I was, okay, I was working at a restaurant and I had a uniform and it was like these like khaki pants and this white button down shirt. I will never wear those two things (laughs) in my life except (laughs) when I was a server. So I wrote those off, but I literally in my life have never worn those. (laughs) I think they're gone now, but like, you know, I wrote those off, but anything else, like even my like black jumpsuits or something like I would totally wear that yes to shoot weddings a ton but I also occasionally will wear it to church or like when I'm traveling so I don't write those off but that's just me personally yeah and uh, I think that's that's a really good way to kind of designate you know if clothing should or shouldn't be expensed coffee stops are also like one of those big no-nos I think people think like if they're on their way to their you know destination that they're going to be working at that a coffee stop would be <laughs> expensed but it can't be uh, and any more like personal enjoyment type of things that aren't solely for business related purposes. Um, I did want to note here, so people listening in, this can be the end of my like, you know, what counts and what doesn't is food. So food was kind of confusing on how to expense previous to the pandemic because it was only at about 50% of it could be deducted. Usually it had to only be when you were traveling. Um, It had to be like solely for business purposes and not just for you like getting your stamina and your energy and your food throughout the day. Um, But right now, actually, they have changed the laws for 2021 and 2022 for food and beverage provided by restaurants can be 100% deductible for your business. And so I would just tell people throughout the rest of this year to really take advantage of that as long, you know, like... Also, one, just support your small business restaurants in your hometown. And it's a great Mm. way to have that deducted uh, 100% for your business throughout the remainder of this year. Okay, wait. That's incredible. I just want... Because I almost feel like this could be confusing to a listener. Like any food that you eat, you can deduct as a business expense? Or does it need to be like, I'm going out to dinner with a client before or like... Like, is it, does it have to be somewhat business related? It's not just like a family's night out to Olive Garden. Yeah, no, it has to be for business purposes. So I always say like lunches are one of those good things that is, you know, if you are like sitting at the restaurant and doing work, like you're having a working lunch, that's a great way to kind of utilize this new 100% deductible uh, tax law that came into effect to really help restaurant owners. I'd say dinners are really challenging unless you're doing a client dinner. Um, But anything when you're traveling right now would be 100% deductible, which is good. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I know you're trying to listen to the show, but like, I still cannot get over the sorcery wizard magic that is pixel cut. Guys, like you need this. It makes creating photographics with different colored backgrounds insanely easy. And I know we said this before, but this app can remove the background from any photo. 
as if like that wasn't a magical enough. Pixel Cut also has so many collage templates, photo background, like like graphic templates. It has animated stories and GIF templates. And it even has shop product listing templates, which are freaking amazing if you have like a Shopify, an eBay, or an Etsy store to showcase your products on clean backgrounds. Yes. I had tested the app on a few photos and it worked insanely well, but I was still skeptical. So I was like, all right, Pixel Cut, I have a challenge for you. And I took a photo of Landon and I in a crowd at a marathon. There were dozens of people around and behind us. And yet one satisfying swipe later and bam, perfectly cut around us and left the crowd in the dust. My jaw hit the floor, guys. Like <laughs> Pixel Cut's like, hold my beer. <laughs> Like, seriously, this app has so much power behind it, and I, I can't believe we haven't been using this for years. Like, I, I we're stupid, basically, for not. But anyways. But we are starting now. <laughs> yes, exactly. We are. And you should be, too. So go download Pixel Cut from the App Store today, and our link to get there is in our show notes. Hey, photographers, wedding vendors, this one is for you. Your clients are spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to book your services for their weddings. And the question is, Do you have an intentional gift for them to say thank you when they book your services? If not, a great idea is giving your couples vow books for their big day. The Keeper Co. created the first ever interactive wedding vow books that your clients will be obsessed with, and so will you. These vow books fill in the empty pages that are often left blank in other vow books with 15 interactive prompts that are both fun and romantic. Couples can choose to read them during their first looks, during a private vow reading, or exchange them when they're even getting ready. And these prompts create the sweetest and just most genuine reactions with couples when they read them out loud to each other. You know, cue the happy tears. Yes. So if you are ready to uplevel your client's experience with your brand and give a gift that your clients will love for decades to come, then you're in the right spot. You're going to look really good giving these as a gift. You can use the code HEARTFAM to get 10% off your purchase from the Keeper Co.'s website. And yes, the Keeper Co. offers discounts for bulk orders. So visit thekeeperco.com to use these vow books and try them out for yourself and use code HEARTFAM for 10% off. Beautiful. I love All that. Right, next question is from Summy Rain Photography on Instagram. And she says, starting out, is the money that you transfer into your business bank account considered taxable income? I'm assuming she means like money from your personal to Like start you're investing business. in your own business. Like right. capital. Yeah, capital. Um, yes, it is. Um, so that that's a really, yeah, solid question to begin with. So you... Um, you know, your investment, you just want to make sure that your bookkeeper is keeping track of that. Um, And then that would come, you know, come off your taxes at the end of the year. It just depends, right? It depends on your tax brackets. It depends on, you know, the net profit of your business every year as well. Um, But that's something to be noted. And that'll help with the starting basis of your business. Um, As far as like pay wise for, you know, what's going to get you know, taxed at the end of the year. I think lots of people are confused on owner distributions a little bit. Um, So anytime that you're paying yourself from your business bank account to your personal bank account, if you're just a sole proprietor or a single owner LLC, then all of those owner distributions that you make, like you're paying yourself on a random Tuesday because you need $800 or something along those lines from your business account to your personal account, those are still going to be taxed at the end of the year. It's not just your business profits. Your business profits are a pass-through taxation 
entity actually. And so what that means is that all of your business profits and your owner distributions at the end of the year will be taxed through your personal tax return on what's called a form schedule C. Um, and of course, it will take into account, you know, when you've done your bookkeeping at the end of the year, it's going to take into account your capital contribution. Okay, wait, Paige, can we just talk about that and touch on that for one second? Like capital contributions, because you're not taxed twice on that income, right? Like when you invest from your personal account into your business, you're not getting double taxation from like tax on the personal side and then tax on the business side, correct? Correct. Okay. So yes, let's break this down. So you have say like $5,000 in your savings account that you got there from your W-2 uh, you know, job for the past 10 years, or you've been paying yourself you know, as a business owner slowly, and you've been putting money into savings. You have already been taxed on that money through uh-huh. your personal tax return. So that's important to note. This is just like an extra $5,000 that you have. If you then start a new business and you're like, okay, I want to take 3000 of that and use it as, you know, my initial owner contribution to this new business, that $3,000 is just going to be your starting basis in the business and it's not going to be considered business income. So it wouldn't be taxed at the end of the year for that business because it's not actual income generation. It's just your initial owner investment to the business. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you're not taxed on it twice. You're not taxed on it twice. Yes. I think that's the biggest key takeaway to have is you're going to pay taxes on that money one way, not like twice. And I cannot recommend this enough. Yeah, I cannot. (laughs) It would be so bad. I cannot recommend this enough. I'm just going to pull Paige off the hook here and say these kind of questions of like the taxation and where, you know, owner contributions and capital, you know, contributions and all of that from owning four LLCs, (laughs) please get a CPA and a bookkeeper to help you navigate these tax questions because it can get so convoluted and so confusing. And having Mm -hmm. an expert who understands how to help you avoid making tax mistakes, getting audited, um, paying too much, all of that, they they can help save your life on the tax side of things as well. Yeah, I'm glad you said that (laughs) because full disclaimer here, I'm just an attorney. Like we do do small business like tax legal questions um, that pop up, you know, for my clients and for my audience online. But I always am like, oh, I'm not a CBA. I actually don't know the legitimate answer to that. Um, So this is just like my surface level knowledge that I'm giving you all listening in today. Um, We appreciate it. Yeah, owner contributions. But I'm pretty sure that that works. Love that you're like, um, y'all, I am not uh, an accountant. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Disclaimer. Peace. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Perfect. Well, okay. Those were kind of all of the like main questions that we got from specific people, either from our Facebook group or from Instagram. However, we, as we're, I mean, you're a speaker at the conference and a lot of our conference um, attendees have been talking and just talking with us a lot lately about wanting to like lean more into passive income. I think that's, as a creative entrepreneur, a lot of us are realizing like, especially service-based businesses that are trading time for money, where it's a physical exchange of your physical body. So like a lot of photographers are like, oh, well, I, especially I have with a cap COVID. on this. Oh yeah, especially with COVID. It's like, there's a cap on this. Also like, am I going to be shooting weddings 12 hour days when I'm 60? Probably not. Let's get smarter with this. So could you talk to us for a minute? Like you've done this so beautifully in your own business about just like the legal side of passive revenue and things to keep in mind. Yeah, I could talk 
on end about passive income and how important it is to set up. Lindsay and Evie and I could just, yeah, we could have four hour episode on passive income. So (laughs) I've noticed in the group as well that lots of people are asking about it. So instead of getting into, yeah, like the mindset and like how to approach and like what's going to be your first digital product. And those are all like harder questions to answer. Legally speaking though, just like get out a pen and paper right now for me and write down these little check boxes as you start kind of creating your first passive income venture, especially if you're doing it online. And especially if you're doing it through like a digital shop, an online course, a subscription membership, something along those lines. If that's where your head is at, where you're leaning into passive income wise, I want you to get these things set up. So the first is the contract, like the main contract you're going to be using. So for an online course, it's going to be an online course contract. For subscription membership, same thing, that kind of contract for someone to sign up. For digital products, it's going to be like a digital product purchase and use agreement that's usually just going to be linked like as a checkbox at checkout or, you know, during the checkout, like you agree to the terms and conditions of purchasing this product. We've all seen it when we purchase things online. And then Mm -hmm. also you'd probably list, right, your website terms and conditions and your privacy policy as well, because you're taking people's personal information when they are purchasing a product from you online. And so those are like the big things that I always tell people about because I think they forget, especially Mm -hmm. if they're selling something online, they're like, well, the checkout process is good enough, right? Because it's through some third-party payment processor and that's legal and that's really all I need. But digital products, especially if they're like immediately delivered to somebody, usually those are non-refundable. And how do people know that if you don't disclose that in your product purchase and use agreement? Mm -hmm. Um, So those are just things to keep in mind as you're starting to sell things online. Um, And then I always tell people like you have to have a way for customers to reach you. And so you want to legally, I would suggest that you set up like a separate inbox account that's kind of your customer service inbox account um, because people have to be able to, one, retract their personal information from you for privacy purposes if they wish. They have to be able to like legally get out of an a newsletter, you know, email list, if they're a part of it, they have to be able to unsubscribe. And usually they need to either do that in the email, or they need to reach out to your customer service. So those are all just like little checklist things I just want to make sure you guys do before you press go on your passive income. So good. So I'm literally so good. Like, I'm just like, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Well, cause it's, it's things that like everyone's yet like, yes, I want a digital product or I want to create presets or I want to do a digital guide or I want to do a course. And like, they don't, that's the fun part maybe, but they don't think about, well, what happens when somebody like buys your presets that are instantly downloadable and then they are like, oh, I don't like them. I want a refund. Like, yeah. well, yeah, you have no or they want to, they use it and then they create their own and then they yeah. sell it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, copyright infringement, yeah. trade secret infringement, um, also guarantees, like having no guarantee clauses in these type of like digital product purchase and use agreements are so necessary because you may market your product a certain way, but you can't guarantee that everyone is going to get these same results of your like top five customers, right? So yeah. those are all things you want to have in these agreements, which is really, really 
important. And then for like online courses and subscription memberships, you have to have a lot of information about payments, right? Installment payments, if you're keeping credit cards on file, what happens if their credit card fails, like all of that needs to be written out as well. So you're not backtracking with no like footing to stand on because you didn't have a contract to begin with. Yeah. And Lindsay and I have learned some of this the hard way, either by being like days away from a launch or like weeks away from a launch and being like, (laughs) shoot, legal. Like, what do we need? The terms and conditions page. (laughs) It is true. (laughs) It has happened, but at least you're thinking of it. Like, Hopefully the whole point here is like, we've all done it, all three of us in our businesses where we're like, that is our last thought. Yeah. But at least we're thinking it before the launch happens. I just suggest like try thinking of it sooner rather than later. Like have it in your list of your Instagram marketing and your email marketing and like how you're going to overall brand this product. Like have it in the list of what legal documents do I need in order to launch? Um, So you're not frantic the day before. Well, you don't want to wait till somebody does screw you over or yes, like, or that. like, and then, and then you don't have it. And then you're like, Oh, I see the need for that now. <laughs> yeah. Or, good point. So just, just think about those things, look into them before you get going on your passive income, because again, you want it to be passive. And if you don't have, you know, your steps in place to begin with, where someone could just go look at this document that they agreed to previously, and then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I th- th- like, I can't request a refund, then maybe they won't, right? And then they don't yeah. reach out to your customer service, and then it's not passive anymore. Then you're like yeah. still trading time for money and dealing with customer service issues. And you're just trying to avoid that, especially when you're automating things online. Yeah. So freaking good. Paige, dude, thank you so much. This was just a power punch of an episode. I mean, we like rapid fire. We hit you from all sides, honestly. Like rapid fire lawyer talk with Paige Griffith of The Legal Page. (laughs) It's my favorite type of episode. I love it. It's so fun. But I mean, like you said, we could talk for hours about all sorts of things. So we'll keep this as the rapid fire Q&A for now on your third episode on our podcast. But... (laughs) You will also be in Nashville with us from the 25th to the 28th for the Heart Conference and talking all things legal. Are you like stoked for that? I'm so excited. And you guys, I want to meet you in person. I know. So I know. <laughs> seriously, like to just tie this all up with a bow from what I said from the beginning. I... I just can't wait to see humans and network and like chat with industry friends and mentors. And I love conferences because I feel like I come out of it with my business mindset kind of on the right path for the rest of Uh the year. And I come back with so many ideas and I, you know, implement probably not all of them because there's just no way to do that. But I I come back with like a a bullet point list of the things I need to do. And I hope that I can do that as a speaker for you. I am not so like woo-woo mindset heavy of a speaker. If you haven't been able to tell with my three episodes, (laughs) I'm pretty legal. I'm pretty straightforward. I really like to give you guys like actionable tips to get going and to really like scale and grow your business. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about passive income. I'm going to ask, you know, ask any legal question that you have for me and Hopefully, you know, I know the answer. If not, I'll point you in the right direction. Um, So I'll be doing a keynote and then also breakout sessions where you guys can ask kind of more personal, you know, 
inquiries like regarding, you know, your specific business or issues you've had with clients and like how I would suggest you handle those. So it's going to be fun because I'm going to be able to like give everyone like a full big picture of like actionable Uh tips in my keynote. And then I'm also going to be able to like help people more one-on-one in a smaller intimate group setting with our breakout sessions as well. Yes. You'll also be on the Q&A panel with all of us, like as the speakers. So I'm very excited. Like, and I also love that you mentioned that you're like not a woo-woo fluffy girl because like, (laughs) I think people need that. Like, yes, they need the encouragement and like the fluff sometimes, but like a lot of people need like the, uh, here's how you won't get sued or like ruined (laughs) as protect your butt. Yes, exactly. And you guys have so many other phenomenal speakers that are, you know, going to help people like feel empowered and get their mindsets right. And I can't wait to listen to them. I'm seriously Mm -hmm. looking forward to that. Uh, But I think also it's like you said, Lindsay, it's good to kind of have, you know, different levels and kind of auras of speakers for your audience so that they can, you know, get their get their steps figured out before they leave the conference as well. So yes. True. Amen. So if you haven't got your ticket for the Heart Conference yet, you can go to theheartuniversity.com forward slash conference. But in the meantime, Paige, where can everyone find you? Listen to your podcast, check out your, your contract shop, check out like literally all the things. Drop your plugs. Yeah. So you or can plug, find me plug your drop your I don't know what I just said. Continue, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So you can find me at the legal page basically everywhere. Just remember it's P-A-I-G-E, which is my first name. So it's a play on words, the legal page. Dot com. You can find me at the legal page on Instagram, the legal page on in, on YouTube. Um, and then we have lots of, we have the legal page podcast and the legal page. Oh my gosh. And the legal page blog as well, which offers free legal tips for all of you on very specific topics. So if you want to hear more or learn more or read more, those are the places to go. Amazing. Uh, Paige, thank you so much for your time and all of your wonderful knowledge that we did not have to go through seven plus years of school for. So we love you. (laughs) Happy to be here. And thanks again, you guys, for listening in. It was fun to chat again. 